Hello and welcome to The Awardist, the podcast for Emmy voters, TV fans, and Kristen Baldwin's son. I am Henry Goldblatt. I am thrilled to be here with my friend and colleague, Kristen Baldwin. How are you? I'm good. I'm pretty sure Fred won't listen. Uh, <laughs> but maybe if I tell him it's a podcast about police officers, he might be interested. He might. Our friend Lynette Rice is gallivanting throughout Europe um, as her daughter's just graduated high school. And I think they're having a little last family trip. Yes, and she uh, emailed me from the line at the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland Paris. So she's definitely living her best life. She also trolled me from Europe, and I'm not going to name the act. There's one comedian slash actor that I just can't stand that's nails on a chalkboard to me. And apparently he was just cast in a new show, and she trolled me from Europe saying that I need to be covering the show. Uh, yeah, it's really like her her ability to twist the knife you know, it crosses oceans. It knows no bounds. Kristen, this story may be too X-rated to leave in the podcast, but we're going to give it a try anyway. And Why we not? can decide afterwards. There was a dinner on Saturday night that unfortunately you couldn't attend. Your ears should have been burning because um, I was telling a story about our colleague Dan Snearson, who when I first started Entertainment Weekly back in the early 2000s was writing a cover story on Sex in the City. And he used the phrase in the story, ropes of... Yes, I know. Bodily ropes fluid of, to mm-hmm. uh, ropes of male bodily fluid, although he called the male bodily fluid by a slang name yes. um, and wanted it to be printed in the magazine. And our boss at the time got very, very angry at that prospect. Yes, that was uh, that was an early encounter I had with our boss at the time where I was like, are you sure we can't print this? And he was like, you need to get out of my office right this second. And so, yeah, great first impression on, on my on my account. But you know what? Hey, I was just really trying to be true to the essence of Sex in the City. You were. And like a magazine that Carrie Bradshaw worked for would definitely print that phrase. Absolutely. Probably many times over in the same piece. At any rate, I was thinking of you like crazy Aww. as I was telling that story to everybody because it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to make you laugh. This episode is really exciting. We have got a very, very special guest. Kristen, tell us who you talk to. I talk to my queen, Ms. Connie Britton. As you know, she was in American Horror Story. She's on Friday Night Lights. She's on Smilf. And this year, she was fantastic in the Bravo limited series, Dirty John. That's excellent. She absolutely was indeed. And that's because we're talking to her today because we are talking about the limited series categories. And we've got five categories to run through. So we're going to do a bit of an abbreviated dive as we get to each of them. But first of all, Kristen, what is an outstanding limited series? This category has changed so much over the years. So what's the criteria currently? Today, the criteria is that a limited series has two or more episodes with a total running time of at least 150 minutes, and it must tell, quote, a complete no recurring story with no ongoing storyline. So if it's the same characters in the same ongoing storyline in season two, it ain't a limited series. Well, Kristen, what's so interesting about this category is let's take the Big, uh, Big Little Lies, which won in 2017. And no, at the time, nobody thought it was coming back for a second season, so it competed in limited series it deservedly won. And all of a sudden, it's back now for season two in 2019. So in the 2020 Emmys, I'm assuming it's going to be competing in the drama category. One would hope because, uh, you know, the same thing happened with Downton Abbey, I believe in 2011. And certainly there are shows that when they start, the networks really kind of view them as 
limited series, oftentimes I think they announce them that way to like hedge their bets so that if, if it doesn't do well with audiences, they can be like, oh, you know, it was just supposed to be a limited series anyway. We're not doing a second season. It has become a more popular uh, sort of type of storytelling in the last five, ten years. Exactly. And I really, really credit Ryan Murphy for that. Um, yes. Who um, American Horror Story won many times in this category. American Crime Story has won many times in this category. And it's funny, but one of his American Horror Stories recently was was like an all-star American Horror Story, for lack of a better word. And it had to compete in drama because it was a recurring, recurring characters and recurring storyline. Yes, once they put some murder house people in there, uh, you know, and, and as well as Coven and things like that, they had to reclassify it as a drama series. So, you know, which makes sense. It's also harder uh, for a show like that to compete in drama, but I do think it was fair. I agree with you. So, Kristen, take us through, like, the previous winners in this category the past few years. Sure. So in 2014, it was season one of Fargo, which we all remember loving. 2015, it was Olive Kittredge, which was an HBO series starring Frances McDormand. In 2016, it was The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story. And 2017, as you mentioned, Big Little Lies. And then last year, um, the nominees were The Alienist on TNT, uh, Genius Picasso, Godless, Patrick Melrose, that esteemed Melrose Place spinoff. <laughs> and the winner of this category was The Assassination of Johnny Versace, American Crime Story. And in fact, American Crime Story is the only show in history to have won this category more than once. And I'd say deservedly so. Uh, it was a terrific series. And I waited with bated breath for the next one. I know. I'm excited to know what the next one will be. You know, it was going to be Katrina. Uh, and then that didn't happen. Now that Ryan Murphy is at Netflix, you know, uh, he still has shows at FX, but it's it, uh, is creating a little bit more of a lag time between seasons, I believe. So as you mentioned, Crime Story is the only show in the history of the category to have more than one win. Um, Prime Suspect, um, that wonderful show starring Helen Mirren, has the most nominated show with five, and American Horror Story had four. What I noticed as I was going through research for this category is that whatever show wins the limited series best series, those actors also like really dominate the other categories. Mm -hmm. Like in 2015 with Olive Kittredge, which I have to confess I never saw, like yeah. um, Francis McDormand won, um, Bill Murray won, all parts of that ensemble won. Um, in 2017 with Big Little Lies, you saw um, Alexander Skarsgård win, um, Nicole Kidman win, right. and Laura Dern win. I think it has the advantage of um, when it's a limited series, uh, that, you know, it's not competing against sort of this built up fandom or this built, you know, all these, uh, the, the Academy hasn't been watching it for seasons and seasons and seasons. So they really can distinguish between uh, the performances in a, in a clear way. So Kristen, we are going to predict the five nominees for limited series. And I'm going to, since there are only five, I'll give you the three draft picks and I'll take the two. So why don't you go ahead and go first? All right. I'm going to start with Chernobyl, which um, is a late entry into the uh, into the race. This is HBO series, obviously, about the Chernobyl nuclear power plant disaster. And uh, it came late in the game. You know, uh, when we started early doing uh, predictions, you know, people a lot of people hadn't seen it yet. But now that it's been out and people have watched it, they're just, you know, it's incredibly difficult subject matter. But it's also it's a really light comedy. Yeah, like, exactly. If you like wings, you'll yeah. love Chernobyl. <laughs> Total wings. But it definitely is um, something that people have been raving about once they've seen it. Yeah, I completely agree. All right. My first draft pick, and this is a show that came out 
last year, and I wonder if it's going to be on Emmy voters' minds, but it was one of my favorite things of last year, which is A Very English Scandal, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, stars Hugh Grant as a a British politician in the 60s and 70s who was uh, closeted and gay and having having an affair with a young man. And I can't believe it's a true story. The twist and turns of this... He tries to get the guy murder. Meanwhile, he's ascending through British Parliament and mm-hmm. um, getting more and more power. He gets married to a woman. It's captivating. It's like three episodes long, maybe an hour, 15 apiece. And it was one of my favorite things last year, as I mentioned. Um, I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it is really fun. And I think, you know, a lot of people first heard about it at the Golden Globes this year, exactly. you know, where people were like, what's that? So I do, I think because of the the success it had there in terms of the nominating getting nominations um, and at the Golden Globes, hopefully that means that voters will still be thinking of it this time around. I agree completely. What is your second draft pick? I am going to go with Dirty John, which is um, based on the very uh, addictive crime podcast. And it stars Connie Britton, my queen, who we will talk to later in the episode. And it's about a woman who falls for this guy, played by Eric Bana, who seems to be like a dream guy. And he sweeps her off his feet. But the more she learns about him, the more... Uh, terrifying facts come to light. You know, he's a drug addict. He's a thief. He's just really there basically to uh, milk her of all her money. And it has this incredibly crazy ending. So uh, it was a really well done adaptation of that podcast. Do you think that it would have gotten more eyeballs had it not been on Bravo? Because I agree with you, it was terrific, but it's not exactly a Bravo's brand. Absolutely. I agree. I I do think it would, had it been on like Netflix or uh, even FX or something like that, it would have been a much bigger deal. That said, you know, the people who watched it really liked it and it did do well for Bravo. It's just, you know, it's not a, it's not exactly, (laughs) it's not a real housewives. I mean, she is Deborah Newell, her character, uh, Connie's character is very, you know, she's a wealthy woman living in like a, you know, Southern California, but it's not, it's, there no, there's no table flipping or throwing champagne in anyone's face. It's terrific. And I'm so, I hope that she gets nominated. I hope the show does too. My second and final draft pick is Fosse Verdon on mm. the FX show that stars Michelle Williams. I think she puts in the performance of her career here. It's a niche little show if you don't, and they assume a very high level of knowledge of like Broadway and <laughs> yes. dance and what have you. They don't exactly pander to the audience, but it's very well acted. It's very well done. And I joke that FX said, well, you know what? Pose is a little too much of a mainstream show, so we're going to give you something <laughs> even more niche. <laughs> and they come up with Fosse Verdon, but it's well done and well produced. And I think it's going to do very well in this category. And FX shows have a, a long history of doing dominating this category. Definitely. So I guess it's my last pick. And this is tough because there are a lot of good op, uh, candidates here. Uh, you've got your Sharp Objects, your True Detective, your Escape at Danamora, When They See Us. And if we're going with just five, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go with another late entry, When They See Us, which is uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, miniseries about the Central Park Five case and about the the young men who were coerced into false confessions and then spent many years in prison. It's gotten such a groundswell of sort of momentum since premiering a month ago. And real life figures involved in the Central Park Five case have been sort of uh, subject to backlash for their role in prosecuting these these young men. So I, I think uh, I think it has the momentum to get that last slot. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, 
I think True Detective will be overlooked. I think that where people were mixed on that season. Yeah. Sharp Objects aired such a long time ago. I think it may get something in the acting categories, but it's it's tough to remember that. So yeah, I agree. So it's it's. It, I mean, it could. Any of those could conceivably get a nomination, but I think the edge goes to when they see us just because it's so recent and it was, you know, such an overwhelming response. So we have five categories to get through today. So we're going to skip over our usual trivia and snubs. And we're trusting you, um, Emmy voters and TV fans, that you may not remember a miniseries or limited series that was (laughs) snubbed in 2006. Um, So we're going to move on to our next category, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series or Movie. And I want to pause here because, Kristen... Can you describe the silliness that's going on with the live in front of the studio audience, which is people may may or may not know, which was the um, aired on ABC. It was the reenactment of an All in Family episode and the Jeffersons episode. And can you explain to people what's going on here, Emmy Wise, because it's weird. It is weird. So the actual broadcast live in front of a studio audience can be uh, nominated, I believe, in the variety special uh, category. But there are no acting categories in the variety competition and so or in the you know sort of late night variety show or any of that so what they do when they want to uh, nominate an actor for something where it was just a one-off performance is they put them in this category outstanding lead actor actress in a limited series or movie so now live in front of a studio audience was great it was star studded it did really well in the ratings and so it's, it is possible that these categories will feature a bunch of uh, actors who did this one night of work, uh, very nice work, fun work, but um, in this category against people who did a whole series. It's strange. And also, you're combining comedic performances up against dra- dramatic performances. Yes. It's really, really hard to judge. It's, it's so- very weird. As we go through these acting categories, you'll hear about live in front of the studio audience actors. And no, Kristen and I aren't delusional. The Emmys aren't that <laughs> delusional. So, yes. Um, yes. starting, Kristen, why don't you take us through the lead actor in a limited series of movies? Who's won this in the past few years? So, in 2014, it was Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock in Sherlock. Uh, 2015, it was Richard Jenkins as Henry Kittredge in Olive Kittredge. In 2016, Courtney B. Vance for playing Johnny Cochran in American Crime Story. In 2017, it was Riz Ahmed for playing Nas in The Night Of, which was the HBO crime series. I forgot um, how good that show is. It really was. It really was. I really liked it. It did. I it went a little off the rails for me at the end, but sure. overall, I really loved it. And then, of course, the 2018 winner was Darren Chris, who played yes. Andrew Keenan in, in American Crime Story. And um, he was up against Ma- Benedict Cumberbatch, Jeff Daniels, John Legend, Jesse Plemons, Antonio Banderas. I think Darren Chris really deserved it. He was extraordinary in that show. Absolutely. And by the way, John Legend, you know, was another one where he was nominated for playing Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ Superstar Live in concert. And so that's one where he was essentially did a musical performance and then he was up against. Uh, but because there are no acting categories, Categories in the you know in the live event or a variety special uh, category, they had to put him in here, and he did. He got a nomination. I think it makes sense that he didn't win because you know it's kind of as you pointed out, it's apples and oranges to really you know compare one type of performance, especially like a Broadway musical versus you know a ten episode intense drama series. So, Kristen, suggestion for Emmy voters. I think they should move folks like John Legend, Rent Live is another one, and um, Live in Front of a Studio Audience, and combine those um, in an acting category against Saturday Night Live people. You know what? That is a good idea, because it's it, that at least is like 
more, you know, comparable types yes. of, of performing. Kate McKinnon has won the Supporting Comedic Actress Emmy before um, a few, t- a couple times, and you see her get into this category every year, and it's really hard to like compare the work that she does versus, say, like. I don't know, um, like Betty Gilpin on Glow or right, Lori right. Metcalf on Roseanne. It's just, it's different. Yeah, um, I agree. And so, I mean, I think that's a very good suggestion uh, and should probably be heated, but let's see. <laughs> we'll see. So anyway, for our draft picks for who's going to be nominated for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series or Movies, um, Christian, do you want to go first? All right. Hmm. It's a tough category. All right, I'm just going to be, um, I'm going to take the easy route out, and I'm going to say Sam Rockwell for Fosse Verdon sure. for playing Bob Fosse. Um, you know, we will we'll get to the, the actress category in a minute, and I think his co-star will also be nominated and probably win. But uh, Sam Rockwell, you know, uh, plays Bob Fosse through over the years, and uh, he has a very unfortunate comb-over wig. And uh, he does, you know, he's a, he does a really good job, uh, and I think it's a standout series that will appeal right to Emmy voters. My first draft pick is Hugh Grant for a very English scandal for reasons I described earlier. He's extraordinary. This performance makes you reconsider Hugh Grant as an actor. So good. I was stunned. Yeah. And by the way, if you're flying, um, I believe United, it's playing now on their little on demand. That's when I saw it. I saw it on the plane and I was able to watch it over one flight and I just loved it. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can also still watch it on Amazon, but it was... um, I was so glad that I finally got around a chance to watch it. Uh, All right, mine, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with Jared Harris for Chernobyl. He plays a real-life figure who was kind of like the Chernobyl, not necessarily whistleblower, but he played a character who was brought in to help the Russian government, like, contain and manage the terrible disaster. And uh, he's, you know, he's he was excellent on Mad Men. Jared Harris does a wonderful job in this, and I think people will want to recognize him for it. I agree with you. The first scene of him in the first episode is just incredibly Ugh, haunting. So haunting. And all true. Yeah. I My second draft pick, huh. I'm going to go with Mahersha Ali for True Detective. Okay. Um, if only because the Emmys love an Oscar winner. and um, <laughs> so true. <laughs> it's really true. So the Emmys true. love an Oscar winner. Um, season three of True Detective was better than season two. It wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a terrific actor and... I think he's going to get in this category, especially looking at the competition. All right. So my next pick is going to be, I think I'm going to go with Jarrell Jerome for When They See Us. He's um, He plays Corey Wise, who was one of the men falsely convicted um, of this, the Central Park Five rape and beating of uh, the jogger. And the show follows these boys from their young age to adulthood. And uh, Gerald Jerome plays Corey Wise through the entire series, whereas the other characters are played first by younger actors than by older actors. And he really does, you know, visually, he looks like a little boy and then he grows up into this man and he just, he gives such an extraordinary performance, so moving. Uh, I would really be surprised if he didn't get a nomination. Kristen, I'm going to cede my last draft pick to you because I think you have stronger opinions in this category than I do. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Um, Let's talk through some of the options. Um, Okay. You got Ian McShane for the Deadwood movie. That was Mm -hmm. that was a big one. We've got uh, Benicio del Toro for Escape at Dinamora. He was fantastic in that. Anthony Hopkins for King Lear. Come on. Benedict Cumberbatch for Brexit. These are, you know, I'm sure there are other category or other contenders as well. 
if Benedict Cumberbatch gets nominated, he's going to have be the most nominated man in this category, tied with Hal Holbrook. Wow, that would be crazy. But you know what? I think it's going to go to Ian McShane for the Deadwood movie. Deadwood is a show on HBO that critics loved, loved, loved. This movie came years and years after the final episode of the show, and it actually was a really wonderful sort of bow to put on the end of this uh, very strange and filthy and foul-mouthed and yet, you know, wonderful Western. So I think it's going to go to Ian McShane. All right, so our list is Mahersha Ali for True Detective, Ian McShane for The Deadwood Movie, Hugh Grant for A Very English Scandal, Jared Harris for Chernobyl, Sam Rockwell for Fosse Verdon, and Jarell Jerome for When They See Us. And you know what? I'm going to just make an early pick as a winner, and I think that, um, I think that Jared Harris is going to actually take it. I, you know what? I could see that happening because you know they're definitely going to want to recognize Chernobyl uh, in some way, and he's the obvious choice in terms of the performers in that uh, in that show. Although there are a lot of great performances in that show. All right, moving on to the lead actress in a limited series and movie category. Let me take you through a few of the past winners. In 2014, it was Jessica Lange for American Horror Story: Coven. In 2015, it was Frances McDormand as Olive Kittredge in Olive Kittredge. In 2016, it was Sarah Paulson as Marsha Cross in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story. And in 2017, it was Nicole Kidman as Celeste in Big Little Lies. And Kristen, who were last year's nominees? Last year's nominees were Laura Dern uh, for an HBO movie called The Tale, Jessica Biel for the USA series The Sinner, Michelle Dockery, uh, formerly of Downton Abbey for Netflix's Western Godless, Edie Falco and her amazing wig for Law and Order True Crime colon The Menendez Murders, Sarah Paulson for American Horror Story Cult, and Regina King for Netflix's series Seven Seconds. And Regina was the one who took home the win. And Regina King has won in this category. She's won twice in the Supporting Actress category for limited series. This, they should just name this the Regina King Award. I know. There won't be justice in the world until she's won pretty much every award for every category ever. Like, she needs to EGOT 10 times over. She's just too much. She's so good. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, Helen Mirren is the most nominated um, and awarded actress in this category with 10 nominations and four wins. Um, most of her nominations were for Prime Suspect. But I would, went back and did some digging into the other roles she was nominated for. Um, she played Anne Rand in a Anne Rand movie in 1999. <laughs> she played Queen Elizabeth I in Elizabeth sure I did. in 2006. Sure. And she played, I forgot that she was in the Phil Spector movie. I forgot there oh was a Phil Spector God, movie. Oh my God, that's right. She played Linda Baden in HBO's Phil Spector movie in 2013. Okay. The woman's got versatility. She sure does. Uh, maybe this could be the joint Helen Mirren and Regina King category. I'm there for it. Yes. All right. I think it's my turn for the first draft pick in this category. Oh, this, this is a tough one. This is hard. This is hard. Well, I, th I think Michelle, Michelle Williams is absolutely going to be nominated for Fosse Verdon. Let's just make her the first draft pick. I um, think she's the early favorite to win as well. Um, critics are saying this is the performance of her career, yes. and it's not like Michelle Williams has had a lackluster career. So the fact that she keeps topping herself is astronomical. Uh, she plays Gwen Ver Verdon, a Broadway dancer, and if you like that stuff, which I think many Emmy voters do, then that's your nom. Absolutely. All right. My first pick is going to go to Connie Britton for Dirty sure. John. She is so good. She played, you know, Deborah Newell is this woman who is a successful businesswoman. She runs her own interior design uh, firm and she's, but she's very uh, sort of, she has two daughters. She's 
divorced. She loves, um, you know, she loves her work, but she's lonely. So she starts online dating and she meets this man who sweeps her off her feet. And Connie Britton is not somebody, you know, who it's she's so beautiful and she's so unique looking that it's hard for her to disappear into a role. But she really did with this. And she even changed the way she speaks uh, to to sort of. Uh, approximate Deborah's voice, and she was just so fantastic in this. Um, and I would love to see her n- get nominated. Here, here. All right, my third choice is going to be a wishful thinking choice rather than a <laughs> choice in reality. A little magical um, thinking never hurt a anybody. A little magical thinking. I am a huge Norman Lear fan. I watched All in the Family and the Jeffersons growing up. Um, and so when they reenacted the shows, I thought the Jeffersons episode was just much, much stronger than the All in the Family episode. Yeah. Everyone is praising Marissa Tomei's performance as Edith Bunker, and I actually thought it was a little too much of a caricature. I thought Wanda Sykes was much better as Louise Jefferson. I'm going to go with Wanda Sykes, who played Louise Jefferson. Um, she was in both the All in the Family episode and then, of course, the Jeffersons episode. She like both sunk into that character in a familiar way, but brought a new point of view to it, and I appreciated it a lot. I absolutely agree with you because everyone else did a great job, but like it was pretty much like, you know, Woody Harrelson was playing Carol O'Connor as uh, Archie Bunker, and same with Marissa Tomei. But Wanda Sykes, she, you know, she was playing Wheezy as Wanda Sykes would play Wheezy, and I think she and she was still incredibly funny. So yeah. I, I agree with you. So yeah, and this will be an interesting uh, category to see if some of those big names from live in front of a studio audience do sneak in. I'm going to go with, and I'm sort of cribbing from you, uh, Henry, is Amy Adams for Sharp Objects. I think we both decided it's probably not going to sneak into the sh- the limited series category because it's it was so long ago. But I do think Amy Adams is a movie star and she did a great performance. And I, I think that uh, there will be a big push from HBO uh, for her and uh, she's a valid nominee for this category. I'm going to go with Ruth Wilson um, from Mrs. Wilson, and it's the story of Ruth. Ruth Wilson plays her grandmother, basically, and um, so weird. goes through her goes through her family his, go through goes through her family history. It's set in the London and India, and it follows um, it follows Alison Wilson, who thinks she's happily married until her husband um, dies, and a woman turns up at her doorstep claiming that she's the real Mrs. Wilson. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was great. Yeah, and I think that you know the the novelty of her playing her her grandma will uh, will for sure uh, intrigue voters. So we have one more, right? Yes. Hmm. This is a tough one. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I'm gonna say Joey King for the act. This is the Hulu, Hulu series. Um, it's a true life series about a woman named Gypsy Blanchard, played by Joey King, who is confined to a wheelchair because she's a a very sickly child. And uh, we come to learn over time that her overprotective mother, played by Patricia Arquette in this case, uh, basically has been uh, poisoning her, making her sick. What is it, Munchausen by proxy? So uh, it was a very popular uh, series for Hulu, and I think it got enough attention that uh, Joey King could squeak in there with a nomination. All right, so that makes our nominees Michelle Williams. Amy Adams, Connie Britton, Ruth Wilson, Joey King, and Wanda Sykes. This is a this category could really go any direction. So I think I think that lineup is as good as any. Okay, let's move on to supporting actor in a limited series or movie. Um, Kristen, who are some of the previous winners in this category? 
Uh, well, in 2014, we had Martin Freeman as John Watson in Sherlock, His Last Vow. 2015, Bill Murray as Jack Kennison in Olive Kittredge. 2016, Sterling K. Brown as Christopher Darden in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story. And 2017, it was Alexander Skarsgård as Perry in Big Little Lies. Do you think any two people have said the words Olive Kittredge more than you and I have today? <laughs> no, it really, I mean... I'll be honest, I remember now Olive Kittredge, but until this afternoon when we recorded this podcast, I had completely forgotten that Olive Kittredge existed, and now we have now said Olive Kittredge three more times. <laughs> exactly. Somebody should do a drinking game for this podcast on how many times we say Olive Kittredge, Olive Kittredge, Olive Kittredge, <laughs> Olive Kittredge. <laughs> Please drink responsibly. Exactly. Last year's nominees were Brandon Victor Dixon. Uh, for Jesus Christ Superstar Live, John Leguizamo for Waco, Ricky Martin for The Assassination of Johnny Versace, Edgar Ramirez for Assassination of Johnny Versace, Finn Whitrock for The Assassination of Johnny Versace, Michael Stolberg for Looming Tower, and the winner was Jeff Daniels for Godless. I think all those Johnny Versace nominations probably canceled each other out, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's too bad because also there was another actor who really deserved one, um, Cody Fern from yes, uh, Johnny Versace. He, he uh, played David Madsen. He was fantastic. So, um, yeah, it was hard because it, there were so many great performances in that that I think uh, it was Jeff Daniels. Uh, he he was great in Godless as well, but like I think he benefited from all the Versace competition. So I think it's your turn to go first in the draft, Kristen. Who do you think is going to be nominated in this category this year? Gerald McRaney from the Deadwood movie. He returned as the, you know, sort of formidable California businessman, George Hurst. And he was, uh, you know, he had his showdown with the town of Deadwood. And, uh, you know, look, Gerald McRaney is great in anything. He was even great in CBS's short-lived primetime soap, Central Park West. So if he can make that show good, he deserves, uh, you know, all the accolades he can get. Fun fact about Gerald McRaney, he seems to be cast as the person who dies in the first episode a lot or that who dies true. very very quickly. Um there's an, I wish I could remember the name. There's a new show coming up on Fox for mid-season in which Kim Cattrall plays the widow of a televangelist yes. and Gerald McRaney is her husband who dies in the first episode and it turns out that he's like had kids with a ton of other women. That's right. I can't remember the name of the show either, but And then uh, of course with This Is Us. Yes. Well, did he die? Uh, he dies at one point, yeah. Not in he the first episode, die. obviously, yeah. but he does die. In the, he does in die, and he like shows up in the first episode and then kind of disappears. Yeah, you're right. He's he's a good like drive by, you know, uh, drive by star power. I agree. All right, I am going to go with Stellan Skarsgård, who played mm. Boris in Chernobyl, and he is just terrific. And fun fact, there are three characters in Chernobyl named Boris, so good <laughs> luck telling them apart. But Stellan Skarsgård stands out, and um, I think he's gonna. I think this show, is, as we've talked about, is going to be very well lauded, and, and th including a nomination for him. I'm going to go with Michael Kenneth Williams from When They See Us. Uh, he is somebody who, he plays a father of one of the boys who's accused, and he has this incredibly sort of heartbreaking moment uh, when he's at the police station and his son is being interrogated uh, about this Central Park jogger case. And uh, he's essentially sort of... 
strong-armed into getting his son to uh, say whatever the cops want him to say. And it's so, he's, I mean, obviously he's such an incredible actor uh, from The Wire and from uh, Happen Leonard and things like that, that he's not, you know, he has a smallish role in this series, but he's incredibly effective. My next pick is Ben Wishaw from A Very English Scandal. Oh, he so plays good. Norman, um, who uh, is on the character of Hugh Grant's lover. Forget all the dialogue and the scenes and all that stuff that's amazing. Just the way he ages in the movie um, is just really, his body language changes. He becomes more world-weary. Like, it's, he could be, like, this naive, he becomes, like, from this naive twink to this very, very <laughs> world-weary man. And um, he plays it with such a plum. I think he's going to get a nomination, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wins. Yeah, he is really fantastic. And I wasn't even really uh, familiar with him as an actor, but I was just captivated by him in, in this show. Um, all right, so my next pick is going to be, I'm having a very Friday Night Lights kind of day because my pick is Kyle Chandler from Catch-22 sure. after already lobbying for uh, Connie Britton. He uh, he plays one of the army officers in uh, Catch-22. And while I didn't love Catch-22 overall, Kyle Chandler is so incredible incredibly funny like he there's a lot he basically just is yelling at people constantly and as we all know from Friday Night Lights he got he does a really good job giving an inspirational speech even when it seems like he's yelling in this case he's mostly just yelling with the occasional uh a bit of inspiration but he's just he's so incredibly funny and he God, he looks good. That's not that that should factor into it, but he really does look good. And it so, should factor into it. <laughs> <laughs> so I really hope Kyle Chandler gets recognized for Catch Twenty Two. All right, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I don't think he's going to get a nomination, but I'd like to push for it, which is Ike Barinholtz, mm. who played Mike Meathead Stivic on live in front of a <laughs> studio audience. Um, I thought he stole the scenes that he was in. He like inhabited that the same way we we're talking about Wanda Sykes. He inhabited that character, but made it his own instead of trying to do a um, duplication of what Rob Reiner did. Yeah, and I thought he was great and entertaining. Well, that's a pretty good list. That is Ben Wishaw, Kyle Chandler, Stellan Skarsgård, Michael Kenneth Williams. Ike Barinholtz, and Jared McRaney. And our final category, supporting actress in a limited series or movie. Kristen, take us through some of the previous winners. In 2014, it was Kathy Bates as Delphine in American Queen. Horror Story Coven. And now I just have to say it. Lies! Which was her famous line in that. So good. Uh, 2015, Regina King as Alaya in American Crime. Uh, 2016, Regina King as Terry in American Crime. And 2017, Laura Dern for playing Renata in Big Little Lies. And the 2018 winner was Merritt Weaver um, as Mary Agnes McNew in Godless. And fun Emmy flashback. This is Merritt Weaver's second Emmy win. Do you remember when she won for Nurse Jackie? Yes. Uh, and she like ran up on stage, said thank you, and then like ran right off right. stage. It was she, like the shortest award acceptance speech ever. Yeah, she was she was a little flustered, but it was a perfect speech. She was just like, thanks, and walked away. And uh, I believe in this case, she gave a, a longer speech. But yeah, she's uh, she's a delightfully kooky uh, performer, and she was great in Godless. If, by the way, you haven't watched Godless, go on Netflix and find it. It's so much fun. I don't even like Westerns, and I loved it. You say you don't like Westerns, but you're talking a lot about Godless and um, the Deadwood movie. <laughs> I, I had think to watch the Deadwood movie. Look, Darren, our, our colleague Darren French, he made me watch the Deadwood movie. I'm not sure I would have gotten around to it so quickly if he hadn't uh, urged me. So, But fair, fair, fair. One footnote to last year's nominations is uh, Judith Light was nominated for playing Marilyn Miglin in oh, American so Crime Story Versace. And 
no disrespect to Merritt Weaver, but Queen Light should have won. I mean, Judith Light is officially a national treasure, and she was so good in that. Uh, she was the wife of one of the men killed by Andrew Cunanan, and uh, she is a real-life figure who is a sort of a cosmetics mogul, and she, I mean, talk about taking... Uh, just these lim- these small moments and just turning them into riveting performances. Like she was just, she stole every single scene. I have a theory about that actually, because I think her part was more outsized than what may have been warranted in the movie. And I think what happened is that the producers got a look at how well Judith Light was playing this character and just wrote more scenes for her because they wanted her in it. Like, right. And understandably. If you're Ryan Murphy, you're like, just give me more Judith Light. If you're the world, just give me more Judith Light. <laughs> yes. All right, Christian, it's our final round draft picks. And I'm going to go first and laugh all you want, make fun of me all you want. I, my first round draft pick is Marla Gibbs, who played Florence, her old character from the Jeffersons in Live in Front of a Studio Audience. The audience went wild when she walked on stage, and understandably so. She looked great, and it was just such a feel-good moment. And by the way, a special shout-out to Jack A. Harry, who was also in the episode so and was good. terrific, too. It was a 227 <laughs> extravaganza <laughs> reunion, and I was there for it. So, Ms. Marla Gibbs, I'm hoping you get a nomination. And you know what? This would make up for the fact that when she was on uh, This Is Us a couple of years ago, her character didn't even have a name and just showed Do up. Do you remember when I texted you and I was like, holy crap, it's Marla Gibbs on This Is Us? And yes. like, she w- it was like... It's like a flash. I mean, we were both like psychically connected at that moment. Like this is the best thing ever. And then her character didn't even have a name. So I agree with you. She deserves a nomination. So my first pick uh, in this category, Henry, is going to be Niecy Nash for When They See Us. She plays Corey Wise's mom, Dolores. And it is, you know, it's a small role, but it's so pivotal because you see these boys uh, and how their uh, incarceration and their arrest and incarceration and jail time affects them, but also their families. And she was a single mom uh, of sons, and she's you know living in Harlem, struggling to get by, and she she goes through this whole transformation from this woman who's struggling with you know maybe drugs and alcohol, and then eventually uh, turns to the Bible and becomes uh, born again and. Nisi Nash is, Nash is so good in everything she does, but I was just floored. I had to watch her scenes over, and this is a show that is really difficult to watch for as good it is, as it is, but I wanted to see her scenes more than once because she was so incredible. My second round draft pick is Patricia Clarkson, who played Adora in Sharp Objects, and Adora is the creepy mother, and she's and Patricia Clarkson inhabited this role like she inhabits every single role and um, really was one of my favorite parts of this miniseries. So I hope she gets it, and I think she will. This is tough. Um, I'm going to go with, and this may be a little bit of wishful thinking, but I'm going to go with it, um, Sissy Spacek for Castle Rock. Um, She plays the lead character's mom, and she's uh, struggling with sort of dementia, and uh, she has an incredible episode that's all about the way her mind is sort of jumping around on her in terms of different times. And, you know, Sissy Spacek, again, like, national treasure as well and such a good actress and i'm hoping that even though the show was on you know early in the year that hulu will do some some real campaigning for her and put her back in uh people's minds because she really did give a great performance 
All right, my final pick is Emily Watson for Chernobyl. I really think Chernobyl is going to sweep a lot of these categories. Um, what's so interesting about her uh, character Ulana is that she was one of the f a fictional character, and they created that specifically for the miniseries. Um, she plays a Soviet scientist and a former member of the um, Academy of Soviet Scientists, and I think um, it was an interesting role, and I think she's going to sweep into this category. All right, so we have one more. This is a tough one. All right, well, I'm going to talk through. I'm going to talk through some uh, some options here. Uh, Lily Col Lily Collins from Les Misérables. Uh, we've got Robin Weigert from the Deadwood movie. Julia Garner from Dirty John. Vera Farmiga from When They See Us. Emma Thompson from King Lear. Patricia Arquette from The Act. All right, I'm going to go with Patricia Arquette. She was nominated for Golden Globe. I believe she won for Escape at Dannemora. She was fantastic. Um, but I think the act, you know, came a little later this year. She gave two great performances this year. And uh, I think there's a better chance that it'll be fresher in, in voters' minds. And they really do like her. And they should because she's fantastic. All right, Kristen, that makes our draft. Patricia Clarkson, Patricia Arquette, Emily Watson, Sissy Spacek, Niecy Nash, and Marla Gibbs. <laughs> I'm here for it. It's a good category. I am too. It's probably my favorite category that we've done today. So Kristen, up next, we've got your interview with Connie Britton. So everyone stay tuned for that. Pretty much any time Connie Britton is on screen, you know the result is going to be good. Whether starring as one half of TV's best couple in Friday Night Lights, dealing with the devil in American Horror Story, or reigning as country music's queen in Nashville, Britton brings humor, emotion, and raging charisma to every role. And in Bravo's limited series Dirty John, Britton gave what might be the performance of her career as Deborah Newell, a successful and loving businesswoman who falls for a dashing doctor named John Meehan, who seems too good to be true, and boy, is he. Connie, thanks for being here. I am a huge fan. As I was just saying, it's going to be hard for me not to refer to you as my queen, but I will do my best. <laughs> please, please refer to me as your queen. Just, just please. Nobody does that. What? That is that is unacceptable. All right, well, my queen, we are here to talk Dirty John and your amazing performance. First of all, I loved the podcast and was so excited when you were cast. So you often play, you know, really strong women, Tammy Taylor, Raina James, Allie. And, you know, Deborah is definitely ultimately a strong woman, but she's different from your other characters in that she's often very conflict averse and she kind of wants to make everyone happy. What interested you in playing a woman like that? It interested me because she actually is a very powerful woman in a lot of ways. Right. But she also functions in her life in, in a lot of the ways that we as women are kind of culturally imprinted to function, which is being very, as you say, you know, being very conflict averse, um, taking care of everybody around her, mm -hmm. being, you know, easy to get along with forgiving, nurturing, all of these things that are very fundamental female imprints. I'm always interested in all of my characters. And if you'll notice, really all of my characters have those elements to them, right. but just in varying degrees. And so in this case, 
it was really, it felt really interesting and challenging to explore somebody who had been able to actually utilize those aspects of herself in positive ways, such, you know, so that she's been able to create a business and, you know, really create a very independent and successful life for herself, you know, in a lot of, in, in a lot of ways that we can see her successful. And yet, at the same time, has this Achilles heel when it comes to a man, but she also carries the weight of this very ancient idea of having a man in her life and what that means and who, you know, that, that her value is reliant on whether she has a healthy relationship with a man. Actually, cross out healthy because that's (laughs) not even, I mean, that's the thing, you know, as women, we don't even, we don't even really put in the idea of having a healthy relationship. We just need to have the man. Right. And to me, it was a really, Deborah is there, and this story is such an interesting study. It's all, you know, it, it really happened. We, we know because we all listen to the podcast. Right. I met Deborah, I met Tara, I met Jacqueline. Like, this crazy story really happened. And the thing is, it's not that crazy. Right. The thing is, men get powerful, strong, intelligent, dynamic women get into relationships where they are harassed, where they are abused, Mm -hmm. where they are controlled in ways that they shouldn't be. And so I really found it a a fascinating exploration to see what it is in our baseline, in our female baseline that allows us, allows this to happen. It's such a like cruel irony that the fact that she was so successful as a businesswoman and independent and really able to build this thing for herself, that that made her the target uh, for him, you know, because he knew uh, that she had a lot of money. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, that's, of course, the other piece of this is that she is very, the, the, oh, these, these, con men, you know, these con men are so excellent at manipulating and identifying exactly what her, you know, what anyone's vulnerability is, and then just playing into that. So he saw that she was wealthy, and he was able to then just hone in Mm -hmm. on that she that made her feel powerful and the things that made her feel powerless, right? And he could play things beautifully. Um, and, you know, of course, the other aspect of this, which makes it a very modern story, is online dating and the Internet <laughs> right. and modern, yeah, you know, which gives us access to each other that we've never had before. It's so true. And it's it you realize by watching this, you know, how quickly that can be abused. Having listened to, to the podcast, you know, Deborah has this very specific voice and you really, you really capture it. Like she sound, you sound different. You sound like her. What was your process for sort of mastering the way that she speaks? To me, that was one of the most important elements, mostly because the podcast is so readily available and people were hearing people were, people knew Deborah by her, by her voice, right. you know, people who had heard the podcast knew that voice and it's so distinctive. And I actually feel like her voice is so specific to not only who she is, but also the place that she comes from. Right. So 
that was that felt like a really important element of it to me. And, you know, she has a she speaks in a different register than I do. Yeah, I definitely raised my the like the register of my voice to a higher level. But fundamentally, I I sort I really had to just do as many adjustments as I could so that I could be as close to her her voice as, as I could be. And it was very it was really transformative for me that voice made me feel different. And I got to spend so much time with her that I really could identify it. I could identify the specificity of that voice with her. Right. And it's interesting that you say that you spent time with her because I've, you know, talked to actors before who have played real people and, you know, people have different approaches to how they want to do it. You know, some performers want to do a ton of research and talk to the person they're portraying if possible, while others feel that, you know, it's better to keep sort of a distance and not get too overwhelmed with research. What, why did you feel like it was important to spend time with Deborah, and how did that help inform your performance? For me, it's, it's different every time, and I take each character on an individual basis. So, for instance, when I played Faye Resnick mm-hmm. um, in the O.J. Simpson story, I, um, did, I chose not to meet Okay. And actually had a conversation with Ryan Murphy about that. We kind of like made that decision together, but I did a ton of research, but that was, that one was important because I didn't want to, I, I wanted, she's, that's, that's a person who has had so much judgment put on, projected onto her. Mm-hmm. So it was really important to me to try to weed through all of those projections to try to get to who she really was. Right. So for me, that was really about researching, you know, reading her book and, and just watching, you know, so, sort of watching how she behaved and how she moved and all that. But in the case of Deborah, I, I really thought it was important to meet with her because the reaction to the podcast by so many, not by me, actually, but by so many people was, oh, my God, well, she's just, she was just stupid, and why did she let this happen, whatever. Right. I never felt that way at all, but I really wanted to get in as deep as I could to what makes her tick, and to have access to her as I did, and have her be so incredibly uh, generous and forthcoming with what her experience is, and you know, really honest about, about it and about her mistakes and, you know, her own sort of, uh, her own faults. Right. Right. For me, it was, it was invaluable. And in this, in the case of this story, we had so much information from the podcast and it was such a, the story itself was so rich that I felt like we really needed to be as true to that as we could. Right. I didn't want to take, I really didn't want to take any embellishments with that because I, I wanted to do, I wanted to do justice to what actually happened. Right. There's such a great cast for Dirty John. Um, I mean, Gene Smart and uh, Eric Bana and just so many great people. You and Eric have such great chemistry and it makes it all the more chilling when he turns in, to sort of the scary man that he is. What was it like working with him? Had you worked with him before and did anything sort of surprise you about working with him? No, we hadn't worked together. And um, we'd actually, there was a movie that was 
possibly happening years ago that we were maybe going to be doing together and which I'd actually forgotten about, but he was like, no, we've been, you know, this has been going on for years. We've been trying to work together. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. I just thought I was, it was me just sort of, you know, admiring you from a distance. And so, um, it was really, I was so excited when he agreed to do it because I just felt like it was, it was going to take it to a whole different level, which I think it did. And, and the process of, the process of, that that experience the the process of sort of the chemistry and that beginning and the seduction and all of that was so was so genuinely delightful and then it was really palpable you know as as the series moved on and we you know got into the later episodes the the darkness that was enshrouding everything yeah. it was really palpable and uh it, that's that was just par for the course it made me realize like he needs his own tv show as well you know like i feel like this is you've you've long been a tv star and seeing him in this role uh playing opposite you it was just like wait why where is his tv show because uh maybe you guys can do another <laughs> another show together i mean Great idea. You've been an early adapter to the anthology format. You know, this is a limited series and anthology. You you started with uh, Horror Story and uh, Murder House. And it was, you know, at the time when that launched, it was something that TV hadn't done for a while. And now it's a really big part of TV drama. What for you as a performer is sort of the appeal of doing these anthology shows where, you know, you you play one character uh, for 10 or 12 episodes and then you either move on to a new character or move on to a new project. Well, as usual, Ryan Murphy is always ahead of the curve. Right. I remember when he came to me about the first season of American Horror Story and I thought it was so revelatory, the idea that it was just going to be one season. And, you know, he's like, because it's just one season, we can probably get Jessica Lange. You know, (laughs) the idea of, and then being able to change it up every season. And I think, I think that's really, I think it's appealing to actors. And I also think it's appealing to audiences because it feels like uh, we we get a fresh, a fresh perspective every season on something. Um, And I, I, I also think doing a, a shorter season, you know, the old uh, kind of network, uh, 22 episode arc is really a drain on yeah. everyone. It's a drain on writers. It's a drain on actors. It's a drain on audiences. Yeah. It's very hard to keep it. It's very hard to keep it crisp and alive and to keep story fresh. Um, and I love the idea of a traditional, a traditional series that, you know, has season after season after season, if they're shorter seasons. Right. I love that because I do like the elongated storytelling um, when you find a world that you really love. But there's also something about these limited series that really allows us to go deep into a story and uh, and give it a beginning, middle, and end right. that um, is very satisfying. Now, um, I know that you've got uh, a lot of projects in the works and you've got you're playing Beth uh, Ailes, right, in Fair and Balanced. Are you considering uh, doing more TV in the future? Oh, yeah. 
I love TV. <laughs> What's your dream project for TV? Would it be another anthology or would you want to do, uh, you know, something more long running? Well, I've been working kind of on the development side of things for the last few months, which has been really exciting and new for me. And I definitely would like to go back to a series with, you know, obviously a shorter season series, like a 10 episode or 13 episode series. But so, but for me, I really, I just want to find the, what's important for me when you're doing a long running series like that is you want to find a world that you really want to live in for a long time. Yeah. And characters that you want to know year after year after year. And so that's kind of what I've been working on in development um, the last few months, just because the next, the next one uh, the next one, I want to be uh, that kind of world where it's something that we feel uh, where it's something that we haven't seen before. Is there anything you can talk about yet or it's a little too early? I think it's a little too early. Okay. But I promise I'll let you know when I can. <laughs> okay, excellent. And I, uh, I'm sure you're very busy, so I'll wrap this up. But I had two more quick questions. One, Deborah has such beautiful clothing. Um, everything, like just everything about her was just so stunning. Did you get, did you want to keep any pieces and did you keep any? I know. Wasn't that wardrobe Ugh, incredible? incredible? That was our, our, th- that was actually the costume designer, Susie DeSanto, who also did, did the costumes on Nashville. Oh, wow. When we were first starting Dirty John, I said, Susie has to do these costumes. She's going to be the most amazing. And yes, I wanted to keep costumes, but I wasn't allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you can keep the Chanel bag and sometimes you can't. Yep. You know, it's just luck of the draw, I guess. You mentioned, you know, sort of the importance of how online dating has changed, you know, relationships. And we see that in this show. Did playing Deborah like affect how you view relationships and dating? Not really, only because... I've never really considered online dating <laughs> as something that I would do, um, even though I've got lots of friends who have done it very successfully. Um, but I'm so old school that I, I the, all of the world of this, this, you know, getting to know people on the Internet is just that that's just beyond my comprehension. So yeah. to me, it really if it in any if anything, it just kind of made me look at relationships in general, you know, just to look a little bit more deeply at relationships in general. And even though obviously this one was deeply dysfunctional, (laughs) there were still commonalities in this, in the, in the beginning of this relationship and the things that sustained it much longer than it should have been sustained that I think are, are interesting to look at relationship wise. It was just such a delight talking to you and you, you know, it, you give such a great performance in the show. I really hope that uh, you are recognized for it in the upcoming nominations. Oh, you're so nice. I love talking to you too. And I hope we get to do it again and maybe do it in person next time. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Awardist. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't like it or just want to talk TV, tweet at us. I'm at Kristen G. Baldwin, and my partners in crime are at Lynette Rice and at Henry Goldblatt. Let us know what you think and join us again next week.